This is the Brisbane Football Review with your host, James Coglin. One of these days, I will master the ability to complete a sentence. Scott Owen. Right, what would I know? I'm just the weekend host around here. And Adam Pace. Look, I think of what other choice you have. Starting now. Now that is how you go and start a season. The Raw women went down to Melbourne to the home of the Matildas and came away with a huge three points to begin their 2023-24 A-Leagues campaign. And the men get things underway this weekend as well, which means we've got another season preview edition of the Brisbane Football Review coming your way. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Brisbane Football Review, the podcast with more episodes than Yasmin's getting married. It's James Scott and Adam with you on a Monday afternoon as we're preparing for another round of football with the international breaks is over and the domestic leagues are well and truly underway. I'm going to stop talking right now and say hello to Scott. Hi, James. Tell you that reference went completely over my head, but I will say the true home of the Matildas, Brisbane picked up three points on the weekend. It's a great way to start the season. It certainly is. Adam, it was an enjoyable Sunday afternoon, wasn't it? It was. It was uh, very enjoyable. And, uh, yeah, football, football's back or in, in the A-Leagues. And uh, it's good to notch up a, a win for the Raw. And with that with that win, it means that the Raw women, ne- the ne- by the next time they actually go to Melbourne, will have, have not lost in Melbourne for a decade. Oh, well, there you go. Um, actually, Scott, question without notice for you. That would be the first round one win of the Gareth McPherson tenure, wouldn't it? Because I believe it would be, actually, yeah, because I was thinking about when the game went to stoppage time on Sunday, I was thinking, please don't do the Perth thing from two years ago where he plays so well, get in front and let, let it slip at the last minute. So, yeah, I do believe this is the first time they've won in round one in the Gatling first year, so hopefully it leads to a first finals appearance as well. Yeah, we can only hope, and yeah, the third season in charge, so it wasn't exactly the most uh, difficult of questions to throw your way, Mr. Statsman, but anyway, we've got a lot to recap and we'll get into the Raw's win in Melbourne. But before we do that, just a little bit of a disclaimer. Since we do cover the local leagues in a lot of detail as well, we are aware of the situations in the NPL, FQPL regarding Surface Paradise and Sunshine Coast Fire, but we'll get into that in a little bit more detail when A, there's more concrete confirmation uh, with the declarations of leagues from Football Queensland, and also when we've actually got time to address it because... I don't really want to be talking to you guys for the next two and a half hours, quite frankly, which is probably how long we would need if we're going to get through the women's recap, the A-League men's season preview, and uh, the whole clubs coming and going. I think two hours might just be on that stuff with the FQ news, so we'll deal with that another day. Yeah, good call. All right. It was Grace Kuilamu and Jenna McCormick scoring for the Raw in what was a bit of a nervy start before fellow... Queenslander Ella O'Grady got on the uh, score sheet in stoppage time, but overall, I really liked the way that they uh, started that game, Adam. It was yeah, a bit nervy. They survived the opening wave from the victory, and then it felt like they took control of the game. It was a very, very professional performance, um, and, and and quite frankly, performance that was um, I thought it was a, a little bit surprising given the you know, amount of turnover they've had. You know, six six debutants started. For the for the raw as far as you know, debutants for the club, plenty of experience, um, no less. But uh, for a team that that yeah that that's been sort of uh, been rebuilt, they they really sort of showed uh, a lot of cohesion uh, in the most part. I think there's still still obviously a lot to work on, but uh, that 
they, they sort of were in for the grind. It could have very, very easily uh, Melbourne victory at at home or their their home, at, at least they can call it. That they they could have uh, took control and they, they did have early possession, but uh, they sort of turned them away and uh, actually created some chance of their own just for half time. So so yeah, it was a very very good first half performance, and then obviously it they built on that for the second half. They did, and there were a few nervous moments in the first half there, Scott as well, but. Defensively, I think we were trying to work this out about a quarter of an hour, 20 minutes into the game. Big surprise for me was the fact they played with three central defenders. Yeah, we were talking last week about they could play a back four and three of them picked themselves all the rest of We can throw that out the window because it was a back five, wasn't it? With Chelsea Blissett playing a, a right wing back role, which I don't think any of us had on our scorecards, but she did quite well out there on that side. Then Sean Farrell on the other side was absolutely sensational going forward. High work rate all game long, but the back line wasn't what we expected, but yeah, it was a bit nervy at first as the three of them get get to know playing alongside one another because I don't think they would have played together at all, certainly not in a competitive game, maybe in a behind-closed-doors match they may have done, but it wasn't what we were expecting, but it did work quite well. They were nervy at times, but I thought the whole first half was really scrappy from both sides. I don't think either side would have been terribly thrilled with the way the first half went in terms of where they control and the creation of chances, but second half, the game needed a goal, and Sean Fry stepped up with a great bit of play down the left to set up young Gretz Quilamu, and from that point, the Raw never looked back. Yeah, well, none of us saw the uh, back three, back five coming, but I suppose they don't call it us football. Yeah, they don't. They don't call us football experts for nothing because we get things right all the time. Who calls us football experts? Good point, uh, Adam. You watch a lot of football, but hmm. that cohesion as well. Jenna McCormick played a big role in that as well in her second stint back at the club. It is only the second. Uh, and she also donned the captain's armband as well because we've got to mention Ishnari, uh, Mariel Hecker and Tamiki Yallop all unavailable for this game. I think that's what was probably the most, most satisfying thing of all is that, uh, yeah, that missing those three players. Look, uh, Melbourne Victory on the other side, no Elise Carl Knight, no Emily Gilnick as well. But uh, we sort of, you know, to a point sort of knew that it might be a while before those those two uh, sort of come back in the fray. Obviously, they've had a lot of time out of football uh, carrying injuries. But, uh, but yeah, Jenna McCormick, uh, everything that we hoped that she would that should be as far as coming back being that, that, that rock in the heart of of defence, and she she was magnificent. Uh, it's like she has, hasn't missed a beat. And uh, I think uh, Leah Scarpelli, I think uh, next to Scarps, I think she wants to be called according to the back of her jersey. Um, was also very very good as as was Holly McQueen, which is a, a reward, a continual reward for um for, for her perseverance. So though those three at the back as a, as a as a back three, centre back, I think that, uh, well not pairing, but uh, I guess trio, I think it really does, um, it does open up a lot of options uh, yeah, in, in having those wide players at Chelsea Blissett. Uh, I don't think I ever recall seeing her play at a right back. I've always known her as either a left back or a left centre back. So to see her out on the right was very strange, but she, she did a good job. And uh, look, Sean Fry on the other side, uh, as we will go on talk about, had, you know, easily, I mean, you know, daylight, her best game for the club. For sure. And, um, yeah, it was it was a commanding performance at, at the back as well because once the Raw got a grasp on the game as well, Scott, it just felt like they were never really properly troubled. And maybe it has something to do with the fact that, 
you know, the victory were in a bit of transition as well. They were breaking in a few new players and the Raw just clicked a bit faster, which is good because how many times have we said, you know, the Raw have been on the other end of that situation? But in terms of playing the back five, I do kind of wonder if that was just Gareth saying, all right, here's my best 11 available players. Let's just fit them in. And because he has done that in the past as well, maybe looking to play players in different roles, uh, like Jesse Rashett as a fullback uh, a couple of years ago as well. It, yeah, I, I just think maybe that could have been part of the reason why. It's entirely possible. We might find out more this, this week coming when they play Sydney FC at home. But I do think with victory, yeah, that probably was a case where they weren't necessarily at their best, but the Raw didn't let them be at their best either. They were really good at closing down and being compact in their own half. They weren't pressing as much as the Ross Aloisi Men's side, they sat back a lot more, but that what they did was they constricted the space, although really blocked up the space and didn't let Victory have a lot of clear-cut opportunities of possession in and around the penalty area. It was really only half chances that the Victory had, so defensively they were really solid, and they had enough pace in the front third because the outlets were to make things happen in transition. And that was the recipe that they went for on this weekend. We'll see if they use it again going forward, but we said last week on the show that this was a really tough start for Daily women's side victory away in round one, Sydney at home in round two. So to have three points in the bank already is a huge way to start the season. For sure. Um, there is uh, one other thing we've got to uh, get through as well is uh, the fact that you know the victory to find their goal scorer had to raid the Queensland system again, and uh, we should say you know the, one of the few things we can uh, praise anyone in a victory shirt for is uh, Ella O'Grady, who was plucked out of the QAS NPL team, Scott. Yes, two two young players on the on the making their debut at the QAS, both on the score sheet. One for Brisbane, one for Melbourne. Great weekend for young Queenslanders as well. Because also we'll get to the men later, but Tommy Waddingham scored overseas as well. So great weekend for young Queensland attackers. As, and speaker Queensland, I guess not not born, but obviously sort of came through sort of our systems. Uh, a debut and uh, a debut for uh, Sarah Diapolonia, the you know, for the Peninsula Power midfielder was a very, very late, late announced signing. In fact, uh, that signing was announced after the original team news came out. So that's, he doesn't get much later. And I thought she actually did uh, create, she did, so, you know, did sort of change the game a little bit for victory as they were trying to chase down that uh, that margin uh, late in the game. So I think she, I think she'll be one to watch as well. So yeah, the uh, victory, yeah, obviously they've got their scouts up here in Queensland. They and they got got a uh, another one. Yeah, well, I don't think we can uh, claim Dapolonia as a uh, as much of a Queensland development player because she only moved to um, Queensland this year I'm pretty sure as well so uh, good bit of recruitment by Mick Gallo up at AJ Kelly Park as well running that side as I have a feeling you can hear my son on the other side of the door as well but Scott you got some stats to uh, go through before we get to the three two ones. yeah well Sarah Deppelon will claim her as an NPL Queensland product and leave it at that but yeah there were eight debuts for this for this A-Lig women's side Chelsea Blissett Mia Corbin Hannah Holgerson Grace Quilamu Leah Scapelli Jordan Silkovitz Rebecca Kirkup and Sarah O'Donoghue players 120 to 127 Overall, and Grace Quilamu is just the sixth player to score on debut for the other women's side. So congratulations to her. For sure. And uh, one other point on one of the debutants as well. I, I just need to clarify because sometimes my delivery can get misinterpreted. I mean this in the most positive way possible. I like Mia Corbin. She seems like an absolute prick to play against as well. Like a proper like centre forward that's going to just beat the living snot out of you. 
I, I don't I don't like um, making these sort of comparisons. I and I don't I don't want people to. But you will anyway. That's sort, of, sort of misinterpret what I'm saying. But the way Mia Corbin plays, she reminds me a lot of the style that Beth Up Richard did for for the men. And when I say the style, as in that she she will. Yeah, after a while, she's not just going to sit there in in that number nine slot and wait for the play to come. She will go and actively try and and find find possession and sort of try and spark things. She did that a number of times where she was incredibly deep for a play that's designated as a number nine. So I, I really hope that comparison, if, if if she gets anywhere near to what we you know that that's sort a of style and is as effective. Oh, we've we've got a we've got the striker that we've wanted for a very very long time in that women's side. For sure. All right, and Adam, um, you're going to give your three to one player votes. But if you are just tuning in for the first time, maybe uh, just come on to the uh, Raw Women's Team. Uh, every year for both the men's and the women's, we'll give all three of us give three to one votes uh, for every game. Tally up the votes at the end of the season, and the winner gets the. Brisbane Football Review A-League Player of the Year Award. Uh, I know it was Emily Gilnick one year, it, and then Katrina Gorry the second year, and then last year it wasn't Gorry, was it? Because she missed too many games? It was Shay Shay Connors. Shay Con. There we go. Yep. So, yeah, Shay Con's uh, well, defending champion, so, and I'm sure... Well, she won't be defending it. No, no, she won't. Don't she'll be, she'll be, she will be, I hope, be saying hello to was on um, on Saturday, but uh, when they when they're up at Ballymore, but uh, yeah. Anyway, uh, to open up the new season of the Brisbane Football Review Player of the Year for the women's uh, three points, Sean Fryer. Uh, she was she was excellent. She is not much more to say. I think that that was pretty much universal across that. Uh, two two points to Mia Corbin. I thought she she was excellent up front. I think that we we can. Yeah, hopefully hope for a lot uh, from her and one point to Jenna McCormick uh, standing captain a, a sixth career goal a, a nice towering head, headed goal to you and uh, yeah look and a good performance all around and look I probably could have added another four players that probably could have been consideration points it was one of those team efforts so uh, yeah so that's week one in the books for the uh, player of the year award it is and in, again just to clarify only one of us announces our votes each yeah. week on the show because A, for time, and B, we like to keep a little bit of intrigue as the season goes along because, well, we never know if there's someone there that's actually keeping tally as well that wants to challenge Adam's accounting. Um, before And James picks his out of the hat as well. <laughs> I've only done that three times. And, yeah, anyway. Uh, I really should stop making those jokes, shouldn't I? <laughs> um, so there, there is one other point that really does need to be brought up because it was a big... Uh, thing that came up during the game as well and the thing that continues to really irk me is hearing the narrative that only former players or people who have played the game at the highest level are entitled to commentate and provide analysis on football because you in cases like yesterday you get the most unprofessional broadcast I've ever heard on the Channel 10 Paramount Network so far with Raleigh Dobson trying to make a name for herself rather than provide any sort of in-depth detailed analysis suiting her own sort of thing but clearly airing a whole lot of grievances I don't know what the hell is going on was going on in that booth yesterday I'm surprised I I could hear the director talking to the commentator and uh, Raleigh Dobson as well I wish I could tell you who the commentator was because it was too busy being the Raleigh Dobson show and it 
if that's the level of contempt that they're going to treat the A-League women's broadcasts with, then frankly, it, it's insulting. It is, like, you've got professionals out there on both sides, and with the level of, like, criticism, I would say over-the-top criticism that was being levelled at the referees as well, I'm really hoping that, I don't know, maybe there's a refereeing course that can be taken as well. I know we've suggested that for Brenton Speed in the past when he was uh, on Fox and more than happy to lay in as well. Maybe he and Dobson could get a group rate as well because, again, that is, in my mind, unprofessional and it was as one-sided of a call as I've ever heard. That was, frankly, not good enough. And, yeah, if that's the level of analysis that they're going to be putting up with, then, yeah, I will happily encourage piracy on those streams as well because that is just... That is appalling. That's really all I've got to say on that. But, hey, as long as it gets headlines and people get the attention that they're asking for, here you go. Ah, for the record, Robbie Feldman was the lead commentator. There's not much else I can add to it other than she was wrong. In terms of that offside goal in the second half, which she thought should have stood, in, stood for Melbourne, she was wrong. Yeah. Expert the, commentator. I don't know what else you want. There's, there's plenty of clips and, and photos out there that show what happened in that precise moment. Yeah, I don't know what else you want to say. Expert comment. We've got plenty more to talk about. I think much more interesting stuff to talk about. I, I just, I just want to add one point. I, I can't add much more to what James said because I, I, I agree. And look, and I think there's a lot of people out there, uh, whether they've actually vented on social media or just thought in their living room, uh, that same thing. But here the problem is, and I, and I. And I don't, I don't want to seem like I'm, you know, bringing that, that dark cloud over what's been, you know, an excellent weekend of football. But they're all carrying on saying how great is 26,000, you know, a record-breaking weekend and all that. And that, that's that's great to trumpet. But they've got to also remember that this is week one. If 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 they, if we've even got 13,000 and good ratings and all that in round 22, then that would be worth celebrating. But stuff like this. Unfortunately, that's what erodes confidence in the product, and that's what, and and sort of you know, and it needs. They like said the players, you know, they they, they said they they're gonna at times. It's it like I said they they're putting up the show, but everything that's around it. I'm not talking just about commentary. I'm talking about the production values. You know, ensuring that it doesn't get lazy and shortcuts and all that. Ensuring that you know that the at the grounds that the the experience, especially for and not just assuming that you know. Peep that the crowd are there um, that are either for the first time or they've been there forever. There has to be that balance. So I think while it's great to celebrate the fact that it was a record-breaking weekend, and yes, yeah, we're still in the, in the basking afterglow of the Women's World Cup, they've got to keep the standards. Because there's no point having the celebrations in October if we're back to where we were come, come March April. And unfortunately, it's stuff like this. If you're a first-timer, and, you're, and you've just and you've just started supporting Brisbane, and you heard the way that Riley Dobson was carrying on at times. You you, you would be absolutely outraged, with thinking, "Why? What am I listening to?" And I, I like Riley Dobson. I think I, I like her opinion at time, but I think she really lost the plot in the in the second half. Um, yeah, last last in yesterday's game, um, unfortunately. Yeah, I think we've dedicated enough time on this podcast to I, all that matter. But I will say, in terms of the league, James, it was great to see huge crowds, great crowd in Gosford for the return of the Mariners, great crowd in Sydney. Hopefully that is a the start of a, a season-long trend where the crowds are I mean, not necessarily on that level, because I don't think you're going to get that level of crowd every single game. But if you can get crowds around that kind of level, it could be a really great season ahead. I'm looking forward to seeing just how many people are at Ballymore 
on Saturday afternoon when the Raw plays Sydney FC. And if you, yeah. Sorry, I just want to jump in one more thing. If you get games like you did in Adelaide um, <laughs> yesterday as well, you're going to get crowds because that was an absolute banger of a game. So, so yeah, like I said, there, there, are, there is a lot of good, but there's uh, something that just got to be more mindful of. Over to you, James. Okay. All I was going to say was, again, like I, as, as we all know, I do commentary, and the first thing that I got told straight away doing this is if you make yourself the show or you're the main discussion point coming out of a game you've failed whether it's good bad or the other way around secondly the one way to make sure that you don't have to uh listen to the or in the off chance that uh, we've got riley dobson again next saturday the one way to avoid that is go to ballymore on saturday afternoon uh, it is a 3 p.m kickoff taking on sydney fc and uh the only headlines being made at ballymore will be by the players we can guarantee that um yeah first game at ballymore in quite a long time refurbished since the uh well since the uh, national rugby training center i think that's the right name for it Hang on, sorry, just had a couple of uh, technical snafus. Um, so, moving on. Um, yeah, na- uh, National Rugby Training Centre. I-, I think it's going to be a fun Saturday afternoon out. Still very much a uh, work in progress at Ballymore. I'm expecting a few teething issues, but it should be a good game. Scott, what's the Raw's record against Sydney? Okay, so the Raw's record against Sydney. So, you've thrown me right under the bus. I didn't have it actually... In front of me, they've played 29 times for 10 wins each and 9 draws, and the recent record against Sydney is not too flash. I think Sydney have won the last four or, or are winless in their last five, but I will say the last time the Raw played at Ballymore in the A-League women's competition was a semi-final back in 2011, a 4-2 win on penalties over Canberra United. So a long time ago since the Raw played a competitive game at Ballymore. I really want to see if Ballymore actually feels like a home of football, a home for the Brisbane Raw, or if this is just the Reds, Queensland Rugby Centre, and the Raw just play there. That's what I really want to find. Is it truly going to be a home where the Raw can go and make it their own over the next three to four years, as we know the men's team are eventually going to move there? Or is it just the Reds and the Raw are just like tacked in as a little extra? I'll be intrigued to see just how much of a home it does feel like for the Raw, and the first gauge of that will be on Saturday afternoon. For sure. All right, well, we're going to move on now to part two, and that does kind of feel like the perfect little uh, segue as well because there has been a lot of off-season news um, in the A-League as well, Uh, especially here in Queensland. We've discussed the uh, push for a Perry Park upgrade, and I kind of feel like the next couple of seasons with the games at Ballymore, across the men, across the women, is going to have a big bearing on how that goes because if Ballymore goes well, it does kind of weaken the case for Perry Park being a viable alternative. And to be honest, if the games at Ballymore go well and it does feel like a home for the Raw, then we may not need it. But I think we're all hoping for uh, a push for Perry Park as well. Um, There was a post a while ago on our socials. We might have to reshare those images as well about the local campaign started up uh, by Chris as well and encourage more people to get on board with that as well because... We need a home for football in Queensland. It really shouldn't be that hard. But and it's something we will discuss in more detail in future weeks of the show when we have a bit more time to dedicate to it because you're right, football needs a home in Queensland and we need to dedicate a lot more time to it than we have on this season preview. But it is certainly on the agenda for both this show and hopefully for the, for the, for the region more broadly. Indeed. All right. Uh, league-wide, 
expansion on the way next season. They've got the preferred bidder for the Auckland license. As there's a little bit of chaos going on outside. I don't know if you guys can hear that as well. Okay, so these uh, soundproof headphones are working really well just here then. Um, yeah, or preferred bidder for Auckland. It is the Bill Foley, the owner of, well, the most relevant for me would be Bournemouth and the Las Vegas Golden Knights of the NHL and Premier League in reverse order. Still waiting for news on the Canberra bid, but it sounds like the details are being ironed out there. I, I Last season of 12 teams, I guess, Adam? Uh... Yeah, 24-25 is the is the launch date. So that'll be that will be next uh, October. So yeah, and it sounds like it's um that it, it there's certainly potential as well that it's going to be a very very exciting time. It, it's good to have someone that has very very deep pockets and more more importantly has experience in professional football clubs, not only in. Um, in the UK, but also as well having professional uh, sort of ownership in another league in the US. But uh, yeah, the Auckland, potentially the Auckland Black Knights is the working name, maybe shortened to Auckland Knights. And I think that Knights v Knicks, I think has a bit of a ring to it for the uh, New Zealand Derby. I like Auckland Knights, mm -hmm. but I think it's got to... I I'm not the first one to say the thing. I've seen Simon Hill yeah. mention it before, but it's got to have Auckland in the name. Just if, at the very least, or look, if you really want to go broad, uh, you can't, uh, I keep forgetting Wellington's on the North Island as well. I was just going to say you've got the perfect North Island Knights. Well, this is this is take three for professional football in Auckland. You had the Football Kings, spelt with a Z, by the way, in the old NSL. They were pretty good, and then you had the New Zealand Knights in the A League. Not, Not so good. So hopefully, they're more Football Kings than New, than, than New Zealand Knights in terms of on the field, but. I don't understand why... I mean, I, I, look, I understand the new owner comes in, you can do what you like, but I thought the model of what the Football Australia did in Western Sydney of engaging with the community, and the core audience who are going to support your product, saying, what, what, what do you want in terms of a name, colours, etc., and trying to work that into to what you're going to try and do. I think that might be an idea, but if he's going to go and make his own thing, we'll see how it does go. I think it's very important they do figure this stuff out really quickly, James, because if they're coming in for 24-25... They need to have a coach in place, ideally by January 1st, so that they can go and hit the market. When the when the A-League contracts are six months out, you can start approaching players to go and play for, your, for you for next year. They need to be in the market immediately so they can get, get the best possible squads they can to be competitive from day one. So the time is really about, what, eight weeks away from that point, as we are now, give or take. They've got about that period of time to go and get this stuff sorted out so that these teams can get into the market and recruit some players but it's great to see the league expanding it's long over I'd be more worried about Canberra to be honest uh, uh, like I said yeah we, we and again ne neither is official as as far as uh, an actual press conference is saying it's a done deal it's it's very very strong reports but yeah it, when you do put it that way Scott uh, time is really of the essence that you know that both these if they get if they're going to launch for next season uh, yeah like they they yeah, they, they can't sort of waste uh, time because at the moment we're yeah we're at 12, 12 months away, and for a club not to exist, to existing and playing in round one next year, the clock is ticking. So, so they got lucky with the West Sydney Wanderers way that that got put together at the end of the season. They got lucky Tony Popovich, outstanding coach, and some good players. But look at the um, North Queensland Fury, Gold Coast United, and Melbourne Heart. They had much more solid lead in time to put their squads together. I think that was 
a better way to do it in terms of putting a squad together and I hope they get the chance to do that. It also puts pressure on the other 12 clubs to lock up the players you want to keep earlier. For sure. Um, my point on that as well, and this is purely down to the way the Golden Knights were assembled, is I I would not be surprised if they wind up going quite aggressive with their recruitment as well. I know Vegas went out and they made the Stanley Cup final in their first season and I can imagine that, again, I know... Won it in their second, didn't they? No, uh, they won it last year, so about their... Hang on. 18... No, let, me get, let me get the fingers out and do the counting. 18, 19, 20... Great radio, I know. Uh, fifth or sixth season. Um, they haven't been for that long. It was a 17, 18 season that was their first one, I'm pretty sure. Oh, okay, I thought it was, I thought it was like just before the pandemic. I like one season. Anyway, yeah, it, we're Brisbane Football Review, not the Brisbane Hockey Review, so... That's the offshoot that I'm starting up next year. Anyway, um, well, we've got to get that NFL show up and running as well. Uh, anyway, uh, what was I? What was I saying? Yeah, so it, so they were they were very aggressive with their recruitment. Yeah. You think they'd probably do the same again? Yeah, exactly. So I I wouldn't be surprised if you wind up seeing someone like uh, Ufuk Tale uh, mooted as a potential coach, or uh, even you know the rebirth of Marco Rojas again coming back as a potential Chris, option. Chris would be one to look keep it keep an eye on who's at Nottingham Forest at the moment if if he's if he's because he started to get on in age, so he would be, you know, as far as a marquee home signing, he might be one to watch. But uh but yeah, look uh I think you're. I think you're. I think you're both right. I think that the key to it is that aggressive recruiting. Yeah, and you like to say because you don't want to. You need to get hit the hit the ground running. You don't want to be a typical expansion club and you know being the bottom of the table for the first few seasons before you actually start. So, so yeah. So I think that's, that's, that's some time is ticking. Adam stole my thunder on that one. Chris Wood will be 32 at the start of next A League season from Auckland. It writes itself. I wouldn't be at all shocked if he's the marquee player for the Auckland insert name here when they lose. Auckland Football Club for the time being. I like it. SC Auckland works for me. Alright, that's the league-wide news. There's obviously uh, more expansion news coming over the next little while as well, both A-League and potentially National Second Division. Still waiting for a lot to develop on that. But we're going to turn our focus a little bit local now, and we're going to hear from the new chairman and CEO of the Brisbane Royal, Casper Tafta. We had a little teaser of this clip on the socials. Let's hear the full interview now. I'm joined by the chairman and CEO of Brisbane Royal, Casper Tafta. Kaz, uh, thank you for coming on our season preview. Of course. Um, thanks for having me. Uh, how have you found uh, being at the club so far in your time? Fantastic. It's um, This is a joy because this is really something that um, I wouldn't consider a job. It's it's a passion. It's a true deep-rooted passion and something that I've strived to to, to put myself in a position along with Zach to, to be able to um, to fulfil a role like this. How did, it, how did it come for you to be involved with the club and, and uh, as sort of just taking on this role? Look, it's a long journey, um, but I think the owners were looking for a fresh change and this time around they were looking for a leadership um, group uh, or top management that were going to be a lot more hands-on but probably could bring together the football um, experience someone that's actually been out there someone that knows what it's like to to compete at top level but also um, who's gone away and 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 spent a bit of time outside of football and and built it um, some corporate experience um, 
and and I think bringing those things together um, have allowed me to position myself well to to take on this role. How is your relationship with obviously with the Bakery groups group and as far as you know uh, getting to what you need for, for the club so far? Very good. They've been fantastic to both Zach and, and myself, and I think that as our tenure progresses, um, you know, we're hoping to. Um, allow the backeries to to reconnect with the club and, and fans and members who are desperate to hear from them as well. Um, but their support for us um, has been nothing but um, um, great. And um, and I mean, so far, um, everything that um, we've been able to to push ahead has been supported. So we're we're very pleased to 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 have an ownership group like that. And in the short time, has there been any challenges that you sort of weren't expecting to come across in the, between when you started now? I wouldn't say that. I mean, everyone's aware that there's a significant amount of challenges um, in place, but Zach and I are well prepared. We did our due diligence, and I'm sure Zach's told you the same thing, but um, nothing has really popped up that we weren't expecting, um, and that's something that we really prepped ourselves prior to taking on this role. Um, and we're extremely confident that we can take the club on a path that... Um, allows it to become successful once again. The big topic of the week in the wake of the Australia Cup is the need for infrastructure, football infrastructure. How big of a challenge is that going forward for the club as well as the greater Queensland football community? I think we have to look at um, how successful the Women's World Cup was from um, an Australian New Zealand perspective. The, The issue is that the content's there um, the fans are there the families are there people want football um, where the largest participated sport from a grassroots level if I talk from a Queensland perspective so yes the challenge has been there in terms of how we fund these um, propositions but for us to be able to have a home of football is crucial moving forward not only from a Brisbane Raw perspective but for football in general um, so we'll do our part we'll do what we can um, to push that dialogue and to push that, um, uh, I guess, conversation forward. But for us, it's 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 not just about receiving funding. It's looking at a bigger vision for um, the home of football in Queensland. You did mention the Women's World Cup and obviously what a, what a big moment that was for football, not in the state but in this country. Uh, how do, as a club, how do you plan to sort of capitalise on that, I guess, that legacy, that, that sort of aftermath of the Women's World Cup? Well, the big thing for us is that um, putting the Women's World Cup aside, it's a huge motivation for us that our women's team is successful on and off the park. So obviously coming off the back of a, of a World Cup and the momentum, um, we want to capitalise in different ways, but without the strong foundations in the club, um, you know, there's only so much you can do. So we've got a record number of memberships. We've got a huge number of the Liberty Pass holders. Um, we've got that support, but what we want to get right is is the team. Um, so led by Gareth at the moment, we've got a really good squad. What we're building is a really nice culture in our women's team, uh, but we want success. And, and with success, that allows us to drive um, further momentum. But just like the club as a whole, it is in a rebuild phase, including the women's um, uh, team as well. So... The first step for us was enabling them to have all the resources available to them to perform at a high level, um, but we'll continue to build upon that. But to have the the success of the Women's World Cup, the fans are here. The fans are, are wanting um, a successful Brisbane Raw in the women's um, part, segment of our club. So 
um, we're keen to ensure that they've got everything at, at, at their disposal to, to have a great season. The women have four games at Ballymore uh, this season. Your predecessor was very, very big on pushing Ballymore as a home ground for the Raw you know, going forward. Has that uh, direction sort of changed with, with you taking over or is that still uh, on track? It's still on track. I, I don't think that right now we can say that we're in a position to be picking and choosing or having preferences. I think what we want to do is ensure that Brisbane Raw um, has the best facilities possible. Um, that's within reason and that's feasible for the club. What we need to avoid is to keep moving around to different venues. We need to know that you know, our fans need to be secure. Our fans need to know that we are a Brisbane team and that we've got a home. Whether that is Ballymore, and we're really pleased to have a great relationship um, with QRU and, and the people there, but for us it's about ensuring that Brisbane Raw has the best base, that we're secure, that we have stability. Um, so whether that be... Um, a, a Ballymore, whether that's a Perry Park like where we are now, um, I think these conversations have to keep occurring. There's also talk about the uh, facility up at Upper Brendale. Uh, is that is where, where is the update on where, about the construction at the moment, and will it be ready for the 2024 NPL season? That's a good question. We we have um, been in close dialogue with Morton Bay City Council. Um, things are progressing, but there have been some slight construction delays. Um, those things are, are beyond our control. What we can say is that we're extremely keen to um, get into that high-performance centre. We are going to kit it out, and again, this is going to be crucial for us to ensure that we deliver high performance to all our teams. So we are hopeful that our MPL season kicks off with um, a home base at Ballymore, it will enable our academy products um, and youth players to um, have the best facilities possible moving into an MPL season. And again, that team to us is extremely important. It's not just about participation anymore. We want to produce players like Tom Waddingham, like Quinn McNichol, like Ryland Brownlee that you've seen come through this season and we want to produce more of those. So without providing them the best facilities, it's really hard to nurture that talent. So Brendale is going to play a key role. If we can... Um, if we can get in there before our pre-season, then, then yes, for sure. Um, but if, if the facility is not at a, at a professional standard that we require, then we'll, um, we'll hold off. Final question, 12 months from now, where do, you, where do you see the club being at? Where I see the club in 12 months is, is the fans, the members, our sponsors, um, anyone who, who's on that borderline of, of not sure whether or not to support the Raw, they're going to be back in, they're going to be on the journey and that's where I see us in the next 12 months. At least, um, you know, it's always easy to sort of propose um, success on the field but what we want to see is the off-field success. So that's the buy-in the buy from our fans. We get the people back loving their own club um, and then the results will speak for themselves. Yeah, thank you, Kaz. Thank All you for right. your time and good luck for the season. Thanks, guys. And thanks to Kaz for taking the time at the season launch uh, that you guys were at, grabbing those interviews. If you want to hear uh, from Zach Anderson and uh, Gareth McPherson, you can go back and listen to our A-League Women's Season Preview as well. We've got the whole gambit of the club, the... Uh, I almost called them the front office guys, but really the head honchos, I suppose Honch we should call management. them. Yeah. And uh, the coaches as well. So... How are the Raw travelling heading into the new season? Well, I can imagine if you're listening to us, you would at least be aware of the fact that the Raw made and unfortunately lost the Australia Cup final earlier this month. But overall, it was quite a successful build-up to the new season. 
I know it does come with the big asterisk of preseason results being diddly squat when the games start counting for points. However, we will just say uh, wins over at Strikers, Wide Bay, Pen Power, Rochdale, and Western United. Losses to Western Sydney and Newcastle. That Newcastle one I'm especially throwing out, considering that was the kids before the Australia Cup semi-final. And I think the Western Sydney one was the weekend after the Newcastle Cup tie as well. So it was again, it was one of those last-minute ones. For sure. And we've done a whole bunch of shows recapping uh, the Australia Cup run in general. So we're not going to get uh, too much into too much depth on that. Uh, all I'll quickly throw to now. Scott, you can set an example for Adam here and give us a quick summary of your thoughts of preseason. I thought it was an excellent preseason because, again, the results were really good, but you had meaningful football in there as well, which allowed Ross to test, or Ross, the new coach, to test out the way he wants the side to play, gave him meaningful games to do that in, and a lot of it worked, which is encouraging thing looking into the season ahead. Adam? Uh yeah, 12 matches uh, that they played, I guess, officially uh, since since they came back from um, for day one of pre-season. So, and as Scott said, uh, five five matches that were meaningful, including a cup final. So, I think that's been per- perfect uh, build-up, and I think that's reflective on the squad and those who are performing well at the moment, and who that yeah you know, have sort of you know, pretty much risen from sort of. I'm not going to say obscurity, but, you know, sort of, I guess, you know, not in the consciousness. I, I, I quickly point out that, you know, Tommy Waddingham, you know, if we, if we had said back in, uh, back in July that uh, Thomas Waddingham would start in in week one of the A-League season, we probably would say, oh, yeah, something's either gone horribly wrong or you're crazy. And... Here, here we are, and I think that Matt has, and he's earned that spot because of you know playing some excellent football in in situations where he he is um he has really excelled in, and, and he he's not the only player. There's a number of young players at the moment that I think really that we, we thought maybe at the start of the season you know that would be, be sparingly sparingly used or not even sort of featuring, who are all of a sudden they're they're, they're fighting for first team first team um on team sheet. I, I tried, see the James, look. On, I tried. I see the look on your face, Scott. By his standards, that was quick. I know. I tried. <laughs> uh, all right. So, yeah, and I can't really say much more other than it's clear the way that Ross Eloise wants his side to play. He's like been drilling the uh, new system in. How uh, quickly it's adapted? Still up for. Still up for uh, open for interpretation. Wow, I am struggling today. Um, but let's uh, keep it moving now. We'll run through the transfers out from last season uh, as well. So Ramad Akbari's gone to Georgia. Josh Brindle South to Lions. Marcel Canardi has gone to Bulgaria. Jordan Courtney Perkins to Sydney FC. Jordan Holmes. Bit of a surprise here. He's gone to Rochdale in the NPL. I am stunned he's not still in the A-League. Joe Knowles is off to India. Robbie Cruz is retired. Yes, Robbie Cruz was part of the Raw squad last year. Stefan Sepovic is off to Wantong United in Thailand. Bonus points if you can remember the significance of that team. Don't answer that, Scott, because I know you know the answer. And uh, Noah Smith is off to the Central Coast. So, a few players have gone. I kind of feel like a lot of the guys that left... They need, a lot of them just needed to go because it was you needed fresh blood in there who didn't have the, I suppose, mental hangover of what has been a very, very tough last four seasons dating back to 1920 when things got interrupted by the pandemic. And 
it does feel like the start of a proper new era now with the Raw as well, both from management, coaching staff, and a fair bit of change in the uh, squad as well, even though there are a couple of familiar faces back at them. Yeah, those, um, a lot of those players that you said you mentioned the sort of out. I think they were they were brought in uh, for a, a situation, um, you know, when the Raw were sort of struggling and still chasing finals football last year, um, and they and they certainly um, sort of ha- had their uh, had their moment to to do an in. They've been moved on. But I think that uh, yeah, I, I think the the ins. I think is is really sort of you know it's more. I think Ross Elowitzi's really shown that, you know, he sort of has an idea of how he wants to play it, you know, and the sort of players, it hasn't been just, oh, wave a wand and just sign players for the hell of a day. These are all mostly deliberate signings to fill in needs for the for the squad. And so far, I think that, you know, it, it's looking pretty good. Yeah, well, the other reason why I haven't got to the ins yet as well is because we'll go through them in the uh, squad position group breakdown, but... Like, what are your thoughts on the departure, Scott? A lot of them were just in need of a breath of fresh air. Yeah, I think so. It's also a new coach comes in, new ideas, and you're always going to see a, a reasonable amount of turnover in year one. There's a more out than in, and that might be a case of trying to bring in targeted acquisitions, what Adam was talking about. But of the players who went out, a lot of them were players brought in in January that just didn't work for whatever reason. And there's a couple of other players who coaches have their favourites in terms of people that they want to work with and styles of play and you've seen a bit of that in, in the turnover as well so it's not surprising and I don't think it's anyone there you'd look at and say it's a, a huge loss although I do agree with you about Jordan Holmes he's more than good enough to be a goalkeeper in the A-League somewhere and I'm actually surprised that someone else didn't pick him up maybe they'll yeah. get him in January well I'm sure he'll be uh, certainly uh, making a case for himself who did quite well in the NPL Queensland season but um, let's, ru- let's run through the squad now because we are kind of trying to keep this on a bit of a clock um, starting with the goalkeepers so Matt Acton, uh, one of the new signings uh, from Melbourne Victory, he's back for another stint with the Raw Backland Freak is the other recognised senior keeper and we've got Henry Blackledge and Lachlan Duke uh, from the NPL side as well Acton sounded like he was going to get first crack at the starting job but then he got a hand arm injury in preseason, and that sort of thrust Freak into the spotlight and by and large, I don't think he's done anything that would justify a move back to Acton at the moment, Scott. No, he has a Macklin Freak got his opportunity in the Cup, as you mentioned. He took it. He did really well in most of those games. I can't think of anything. He did terribly wrong in terms of a mistake in any of those games. So you'd have to say he is going to be the number one going in to the season. And it's a big chance for him to prove that he is a long-term number one for the Brisbane Roar. He's been in the squad for a long period of time now. It's really an opportunity for him now to nail down that spot and make it his own. And if he doesn't, Matt Acton's perfectly solid backup who you can bring in and rely upon to do the job for you. So two pretty experienced goalkeepers, also two longest-serving Raw youth goalkeepers as well. So between them, they've done about 10 years in the Raw youth setup. So we'll see who emerges number one, but I think Macklin will get the first chance. I slightly disagree. I think Macklin Freak's always been number one. No, I think Matt Acton um, was brought in that experience. I think he, he was he was in, I think he was the insurance policy. Uh, if you know if Macklin Freak doesn't didn't sort of you know squander he squandered his opportunity at, at that. But I always felt that Freak was the number one. Uh, that Jordan 
Jordan Holmes got moved on um, partially because of that, and and yeah, and so far so far so good. Uh, Macklin Freak is you know consistently has shown uh, some very good form. He hasn't been has been perfect, but what keeper has been? But uh, but yeah, but certainly uh, Acton is there is a good backup there. You know, and if something would happen, either injury or form drop, we're not losing too much. And yeah, I don't think uh, Lachlan Duke or Henry Blackledge, uh, two young keepers, uh, we. I don't think we'll see much of them in this A-League season. I think the only time we're going to be seeing uh, those NPL keepers will be at the halftime penalty challenges that uh, Hinksy is running at Suncorp Stadium during the home games as well. Because, yeah, that, that, that was where we saw uh, Cardiff Pond last year as well. And I think that is actually part of the NPL goalkeepers contract. Um, it is interesting. I, I'm happy to see Freak get the first crack at the starting job as well. It is a bit of a, I don't want to say like boom or bust season for him, but I think... They need to find out right now if he is the long-term option as well, because if that's one position they can have locked up for the next three, five years or longer, then that's a big relief as well, because look, I suppose best case scenario, he's good enough to be the Raw's keeper for the next decade. Medium case scenario, he's good enough that he gets to move overseas. Worst case scenario, you've got to go to Matt Acton, but I, I don't see Freak bottoming out that way. I just... I feel like the worst case scenario is you're going to see him struggling and maybe you've got to score a few more goals than you did last year. All right, let's move on to the defenders and what I would call the strongest group uh, in the first team squad. Uh, Returning for another season, you've got Tom Aldridge, Jack Hingott, Scott Neville and Kai Truen. Back again is uh, Corey Brown after the club issued their apology to him after the uh, exclusion from the squad last year. And again, I'm... Happy to see Corey back. Uh, James Nikolovsky, uh looks like he's in line for more minutes after having quite a strong NPL season. And Aaron Reardon has been signed from Gold Coast Knights after a commanding season. A lot of central defenders there. A lot of good players. And I'm very curious to know how they're all going to fit in because, quite frankly, you've got Reardon and Truen who could very easily push into midfield as well. We've seen Brown and Hingott operate as wide midfielders when they've gone with a back three. It's going to be an interesting sort of mix and match proposition all season, Adam. If I didn't know better, it was almost that this this squad, uh, this well, sorry, this group, uh, would almost say that, you know, they're going three three centre backs. But uh, we know that so far we have not seen that in in uh, in Ross Valawis's plans. I suppose that we've got uh, Louis Zabala as well, who in our run sheet is, and what we feel is uh, his better position is as a midfielder who has been um, who's been playing in the left fullback role uh, while Corey Brown is sort of is getting up to speed. So I suppose it's it is interchangeable, as you said. Yeah. Uh, 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 Kai Truen spent a lot of time in midfield last year, and uh, and Aaron Reardon spent pretty much the majority of the season and excelled at Gold Coast Knights during the season. So I can see that of that that group, a few of them, yeah, it's very very versatile. But look, at the end of the day, I think it comes down to uh, Tom Aldred. He he's the heart and soul. He's the captain. He's the rock that side. If he's healthy, I think that this team's healthy. I think Scott Neville as well. Um, if he can, if he can put up performances uh, every week like he did in the Australia Cup final, as long as he did, I think it's, uh, the defence. I don't think we have to worry one bit. I think they'll look after themselves, and it's going to be a case of uh, the other the other eleven teams are really going to have to do a good job, um, you know, breaking that defensive line. 
And the only health concern to come out of the Australia Cup final, as far as I'm aware, was the fact that Aldred did sort of ding up uh, one of his shoulders early in that game, but he was able to go on and uh, finish things off, Scott. He was, in two weeks to recover from that Cup final for this weekend. He should be fine. But with Tom Aldred, it's always a concern, isn't it? Since he's been at the club, he's been an ever-present when he's been fit and he's been a key cardinal side as the captain. But unfortunately, he has had his odd injury or two throughout the throughout the season. So has Jack Hingott as well. So hopefully they can keep those two players fit and available. As to the way the group is, centre-backs are absolutely fantastic. You've got, fantastic. You've got four or five really good options there who you'll see throughout the course of the season. I think it will be Aldred and Neville to start with. True and probably on the bench, maybe filling in midfield here and there. The interesting thing will be for the fullbacks because obviously Jack Hingett and Corey Brown, when fit and healthy, will be the first choice. But if there's one area of the team where there's not a lot of depth and options, that's it. You look at the Australia Cup campaign, you had Luis Zabala playing at left back, James Nikolowski coming on and playing at right back. They're more. They're not specialist fullbacks, so that might be the one area they are a little bit short is in terms of backup specialist fullbacks. Other than that, it's a really good defensive group, and they've performed really well in the preseason. They have, and but I'm, one of the players out of the NPL side that I thought could have made the leap is uh, Trent Millard, just in terms of being a backup. But he's now with the Central Coast Mariners as well, and I I do kind of think that is one of the areas that. Maybe you are relying on some of the younger players as well, Scott. I was just going to mention Nathan Geyer as well, who also played in the in the yeah. cup game against Newcastle. He's another young fullback who maybe you might see, although we only saw him briefly in that Australia Cup campaign. Central Coast Mariners seem to be pinching all their fullbacks because they also um, took Noel Smith as, as well. So um, not that not that he. No. He, he was handy at the back end last season, but yeah, I don't, I don't know. I think uh, if he had the opportunity at Central Coast, I think yeah, he's, he's made the right move. But uh, but yeah, it's um, defensively, I don't think we have to anything to worry about. I, yeah, I think the only issue I would have had with the departure of Noah Smith, like if he's gone to the Mariners and he's going to be starting week in, week out, good for him. But I would have been more than happy to have him as that sort of that depth option at fullback behind. Corey Brown and you know if you needed him to come in and play three or four games I think he would have been fine but yeah uh, it's Brown's position and clearly Zabala they trust him enough at fullback that uh, he can come in and do a job I was going to say just one last thing on that and I wanted to just back up what Scott was saying was that perhaps that's a window into the thought that maybe they feel that Nathan Geyer may actually, at least in the back end of this season, may be a viable option as cover for injury or you know, or just to get opportunities. So that that may be that may be something to that there's also in in the works and why Noel Smith wasn't was surplus requirements when we come down to it. it. It could be, and you know, the midfielder group that we're about to move on to now is perfect uh, a perfect example of. If uh, you're good enough, you're old enough because, uh, well, there is Quinn McNichol as part of this group, although I don't see him leading the uh, way just yet since he is 15 and... God, I feel old every time I mention that. But, uh, yeah, uh, got quite a bit of turnover in this group, but back for another season. Jay O'Shea, Louis Zabala, um, Henry Hoare is back as well. Joe Coletti has returned for... Another stint, uh, Louis Zabala is listed in this group as well on our run sheet. And uh, Taris Gamulka as well. Florian Berenguer has made the move from Melbourne City. Shea Cahill, uh, T20 
Tim Sunners, I think he is going to be unfortunately known as for his entire professional career, at least until he uh, racks up a half century of Socceroos goals. No pressure, kid. But um, there's there's a lot to like about this group. And Adam, I'm going to go back to you as well because I do just want to get uh, your thoughts on the uh, signing of Shay Cahill out of the Everton Academy because you said something about the type of players that they release. You said, you, said they rele- you said they release all the good players, so that's got to be a good sign. Oh yes, uh, uh, yeah, we, we, yeah, we, we, yeah, no, no, we, no, we, t- uh, we as an Everton, we tend to uh, release players that uh, either we think are ready or we just do it for the heck of it. I refer to Anthony Gordon as well, uh, who's having a wild, wild time playing Champions League, Champions League football for Newcastle. But yeah, look, um, yeah, Shay Cahill. Um, it kind of a bit of a surprise, actually, that you know that he, he that he end up uh, I don't know choosing Brisbane. What the connection is uh, um, on the reason why he chose Brisbane, where he probably could have the pick of the litter, pretty much. You know, when you're when your uh, last name is Cahill, you probably could have had the choice, but uh, he chose Brisbane. And he, from all reports, uh, he he was a handy player. Uh, a handy young player, sort of going to the ranks. So I think he he'll relish his time here. Hopefully, as far as um, a massive contribution to this squad, I think uh, maybe not just yet. But uh, look, you never know. All right, I just had to give him his Everton five minutes there, Scott. But as for the first choice, a uh, lot of this team of the midfielders, assuming they're going to stick with the three, I like the fact that I'm reading through this uh, group of players. And I've got four players for three spots. You've got Gamulka, who I think is going to be the locked-on holding uh, midfielder. Then Jay O'Shea, you can't bench him. And then you've got Henry Hoare and Florian Berenguer, both of whom are very, very strong attacking options. Berenguer brings the experience, Hoare the dynamism. It's a good problem to have. You include um, Joe Coletti in that as well. It's five players for three positions. It's absolutely fantastic competition for what Ross Aloisi wants. We did see his prefer, preferred midfield was Coletti and O'Shea as a pairing deeper and then Berenguer as a 10, but Henry Hall was sensational in his system as well, so you've got really good options there in terms of the way the midfield might shape up. I'm really intrigued to see how much better Jay O'Shea can be. Now that it's a completely different style of play and he can push forward a lot more now in this system. I'll be intrigued to see how he goes. It seems like He's absolutely loving it the way he's going in pre-season. And if he can have even more of an impact than he's had in the last couple of years, and he's had an influential impact, as we know, if he can take that to another level, it can add to this raw midfield mix. So I do like this midfield mix. I don't know if we'll see Cahill Jr. much or even Quinn McNichol in terms of regular appearances. Maybe your cameo here or there. But that top five in the raw midfield is really, really strong. And they all have their own individual skills that they bring in terms of if you want to lock down, the, lock down the game and be a bit more controlling and limiting of the play, you can bring in Gamorka to be more solid in the midfield mix. You want the creative players, you've got Coletti and you've got O'Shea. They've got a really nice mix in, in midfield. That they do. Um, yeah, so good, good situation to be in. And the more we're talking about it now, the more I just feel like it is going to be a bit of a horses for courses situation as well, where I don't necessarily think they're going to be locked into saying... Alright, we're playing a 4-3-3 every single week. I think we're going to... You know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if in some weeks we see them lining up, you know, with two uh, out-and-out strikers up top and a flat four across midfield. I... And, you know, they'll still be playing the way Aloisi wants them to this... Uh, we've seen them setting up this preseason, but 
I think it, they'll have different ways to attack uh, teams, and that is a good thing because we've mentioned Thomas Waddingham as uh, the striker, but there isn't really a clear-cut out-and-out uh, striker option behind him as well. And as we saw in the Australia Cup final, about 60 minutes was uh, the limit of his impact, at least in this situation as well. And considering he's probably going to be jetting off for young Socceroos, Judy, I think that is the he's, team name that... He's there at the like, moment. That's a lot of miles that they're going to be putting on the 18-year-old. And I kind of feel like at this uh, group of forwards, someone else is going to have to step up and shoulder the load. Um, the out-and-out strikers, at least as I would call them, uh, you got Waddingham, Jonas Markovsky out of NPL South Queensland from Altona Magic. Um, what do we call them again? Was it the Acacia Magic? Uh, we'll go with that. Or Ashgrove Magic. Anyway, um, Ion Marjok, uh, another young player. It's a very young group of strikers. And then as far as... The, uh, Ryland Brownlee, I think he's officially a striker as well. And uh, then the wide plays, you've got Carlo Amianto, Jez Lofthouse, uh, Nikola Miliusnic, and Alex Parsons. Although, again, I've been saying it for a while, I would not be surprised if Parsons winds up slotting into midfield from time to time as well. Scott, talk us through yes. this group of forwards. It's a really dynamic, attacking, quick group of players, isn't it? And it's also multi-positional. You mentioned that you broke down into terms of centre forwards and wingers. A lot of those players can cross over into various different roles in that front three so it's interchangeable it's adaptable it's quick it's dynamic and so far it's been really really effective i think the the one thing they they, they maybe would have loved to have and we'll hear from rossa lucy in a minute is that bona fide number nine with some real experience to lead the line someone like a barisha just to bring in some some experience in that front though but so far in the cup they haven't needed it let's be honest they've scored a lot of goals in the cup and it's been the young players who've been spearheading that not just tommy waddingham but other players as well, so they've been really, really effective in the way they've put this group together, and I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing how this group goes over a 26-game season. So I think if it stays fit and healthy and together, and no one moves on, it could be really, really exciting. Both the young players and also the experienced guys like the Milayuzniches and the Armientos, they play really crucial roles. Everyone speaks at Waddingham and Adam mentioned him earlier, but the impact of Milayuznich and Armiento in the wide areas, the experience that they've got has been really crucial as well. So it's a really nice mix in the in the front third. A lot of speed out wide um, with with Milio's niche uh, and Armiento and, and sort of a, a lot of directness to goal as well. So perhaps having that, that out and out number nine uh, is maybe other than having you know, you know, young young Tommy Waddingham there uh, is maybe maybe that's that's the sort of is not really needed. We've even sort of thought that you know, from time to time, though, against uh, the Wanderers in the uh, in the cup, that Florin Berenger was was playing as a false nine. So there, there there's there's plenty of different ways um, this this squad, especially the the midfield into attack, can can line up. And I think that's that's only a good thing. So and like I said, then we'll talk about Henry Hoare as a midfielder. He has been utilised as a right winger as well from from time to time. So uh, endless possibilities, and I think it, I think yeah, it may be a case of a horses for courses and, and seeing how how that plays out, and and the ability to be flexible and change the and change the um, I guess the formations and the tactics during the game as well, and having the players to do it for sure. And now just quickly mentioning the uh, general makeup of the squad. It does seem like there's a lot of guys in there that could turn into sellable assets in the future as well. And 
maybe there's a bit of a push to follow what has been a successful model for the Mariners and some of the other A-League clubs as well, saying, look, we need good young players, not to keep them around for 10 years and make them lifelong Brisbane Raw players, but accepting that this is a business now. Like, a, a football club is a business as much as it is a football club, and realising that, hey, if one or two of these players hits, that's great. And, you know, if you really want to dream, if Waddingham gets off to a flying start, how long will he be around come January? You know, if he if he starts lighting the league up, we know scouts are watching Australia. Yeah. Mm. So. If he scores every game between now and January, he won't be here by the end of January. That's just the way it is. That's, if it, he scores every also, second game. Yeah, absolutely. It's a, it's a copycat league as well. We've seen the Mariners had a lot of success with that. Melbourne City had a lot of yep. success with that. So we're going to go through the rest of the league shortly. You look at the squads of the rest of the league, they're all doing basically the same thing. Then Most of the teams have got their big impact players, and then below that, a bunch of young kids they're giving an opportunity to. So somewhere around the league, there's going to be four or five young kids who really really like flourish this year and make a name for themselves. Hopefully, a couple of them at the Raw. Tommy Waddingham has already won. For sure. All right, well, <coughs> as I'm about to uh, cough my lungs out, let's hear from the head coach of the Brisbane Raw, Ross Aloisi, as... He prepares for his first A-League men's match in charge. Uh, John, this is for everybody, head coach of the Brisbane Royal Men, Ross Elsey. Ross, thanks for talking to us. Thank you. Thanks for having me. A um, couple months in the role. How are you finding things back at the club? Yeah, it's been really good. Uh, obviously, uh, um, there's a big difference you know, from when I was here last time. You know, with uh, Zach and Kaz coming in, uh, have made a, a massive difference within the club. The playing group is, is outstanding and... Um, you know, it's uh, we're we're playing an, an exciting brand of football, which is which is uh, what I wanted to play, and, and hopefully the the supporters and fans are going to get right behind us. I was going to ask you this later on, but since we're talking about, it, what's the biggest thing you have noticed since you've been away and back at the couples? You were an assistant a few years ago. What's the biggest change oh, you've noticed? Look, uh, there's there's a lot of things that I don't want to go into because um, the way it was was run uh, when we were here last uh, wasn't great. Um, so I probably won't go into it, but you know the the support from from uh, Zach and Kaz and, and and all the staff within within the Brisbane Roar at the moment has been outstanding. Um, you know we, we know that we're, there's always difficulties within football clubs, and and it's no different uh, here. But you know the uh, like I said, the football that that we're playing um, hopefully excites our supporters, and, and we just want our supporters back and, and following us uh, as much as they can. The preseason has been very attacking and entertaining to watch. How's, how's it been for you as a coach? The way it's gone through the Australian Cup campaign has gone as well as you could possibly yeah. ask. But have you found the preseason? The preseason has been really good. Um, like I said, the football that we've been playing, even in the friendly games that we've played in as well, you know, Western United, um, and we played against uh, West Sydney Wanderers in the Gold Coast, and it was very, very pleasing, very good. Um, the disappointing thing about last week was we we got the result 100%. Very very difficult to go down there. Uh, we had a, um, a trip down to Coffs Harbour, which had already been agreed to midweek, so that took a lot out of the players. And the football that we played was good without being uh, great. Um, so I'd say the last game that we played was a little bit disappointing to everyone. Uh, the playing group, coaching staff, that we didn't play to the best of our ability. 
how important is it to have a cup file so early in order to have a bigger case? Like, there's a chance to pick up some silver really early, but also yeah. chance to put a marker down with the rest of the competition. Yeah, look, the pre-season's always pre-season, but when you're playing competitions, it's always important that uh, that you do well. And this is a very tough competition to play in because you've seen a lot of other bigger clubs or bigger teams with uh, with uh, bigger squads have have struggled a little bit so it's important for us it's the perfect pre-season for us because you go all the way through with competitive games leading into the season proper and, and you can't ask for uh, a better lead into the the season and you really try to bring an attacking play back to the team is that something that, i've noticed is that something you really try to push this off season is to get more goals and attacking play into the start of play yeah yeah it's, it's the football that i like playing and and that um you know over a number of uh, the years that I've been coaching, when I was uh, head coach in, in the NPL in South Australia, and uh, you know, the teams that I coached always scored the most amount of goals. Um, but it, it comes with a risk. When I coached with the women's as well, uh, you know, we scored a lot of goals as well. Uh, unfortunately, we don't have. Um, I, I shouldn't say unfortunately. Fortunately, we've got some some good young players coming through, and, and one of them being Waddingham. Um, you know who who uh, has done extremely well throughout the pre-season but you know the goals that we've scored have come from a number of different players and and that's um, you know really pleasing but again it's something else that I learned when I was in Japan with Kevin Musket you know we played I thought uh, the, the best football in the league um, and I, I took the things that I really liked uh, from from my time in Japan with the Marinos and I, and I put them together and brought them here with all the other ideas that I've had as a football coach and and, and again it it's exciting it's very uh, dynamic it comes with risks um, but the reward outweighs the risk so that's that's a football I enjoy playing so there's like, your experience in Japan how much did that shape the way that you're going to talk to do things here um, quite a bit to be honest uh, especially the training sessions um, well I was always a big believer that everything you do in training uh, replicates what you do uh, in a game, so training's uh, a little bit different, um, probably to what I had done in years gone by. Um, but it's not that different. Uh, I, th I think the rest time is is uh, is a big difference, you know, between um, exercises. So it's been it, it shaped a, uh, quite a bit to what uh, what I learned over there to, to what I'm doing here. Absolutely. Looking to the squad, there has been too much change to the way the squad was last year to this. Just a couple of notable inclusions, Florent Berenger and Joe Coletti. Were they kind of targeted acquisitions for the for the group? And what are you looking for from those two players in particular to add to the group? Yeah, so Joey Coletti um, obviously coached him here in Brisbane uh, out of the AIS. And then um, when I was in Adelaide, uh, I'm not going to say that I brought him to the club because of but I had a, a big hand of bringing him to, to Adelaide United and, and definitely I was the one that got him here. Um, and I know what he can do. He can play in a couple of different positions in the midfield and we've seen what, he, uh, what he's been doing throughout the pre-season, um, you know, what he adds to this team as far as uh, ball possession, uh, energy and, and winning possession back. And uh, Berenguer, well, I mean, we were lucky. That's that's all I can say. He, he fell on our lap and, and threw a um, a former Brisbane Raw player in Fahid Ben Kafala, who I'm very good friends with. Uh, he came to me and, and said, "Would I be interested?" And of course we were. 
Um, you know, there was no question there, but um, it was a question of finances as well, and and we, we're just extremely lucky that we that we did get Flo. Um, and he's going to take time to to get to his fitness level, but he's already shown glimpses of what he can do. And in training this week, he's he's actually looked really really good. Absolutely, and there was a lot of speculation throughout the off season about. Our- Visa number nine coming in. Yep. Is that still kind of on the agenda? Has the form of Tommy Waddingham in the cup kind of meant that that's not no longer an absolute priority for you? No, it's it's always a priority um, for us to to get another nine. Um, it was supposed to be a visa player, but unfortunately we just we're in a situation that we can't afford one, um, which is no big deal. And and like I say to the players, there's always there's always a flip side to everything. You know, we we re- quickly realised that we. Um, that we couldn't uh, get one. It's not to say that we're not going to get a striker, um, but it, you know the, the, it's an opportunity for, for a young player to step up and and, uh, and perform. And like I said to to all the players, there's no guarantees here. I expect certain players to play, but I guarantee no one to play. And if players are performing, they will play. And and it goes to show Waddingham has been performing and and has done extremely well. Um, you know, last week's game was a little bit different as well because uh, you know there was a few things that he needed to improve on, and we're always looking to improve. But um, yeah, he's he's done extremely well. But like I said, it's not to say that we're not going to be looking for for a striker. Just at this moment in time, you know, there's there's not a lot around. I know that people say there are strikers, um, but when you look at these big clubs that are signing strikers, they're signing them on, on million, dollar, million dollar contracts or $800,000 and you know, that'd be great if we could but we, we can't. Yep. So um, we live within our means and and uh, try and keep performing because it's a team performance, it's not uh, it's not an individual. Yes, individuals help but it's a team performance is what gets us over the line. Certainly is working so far for you. One of the things you have done through the Cup campaign is give all the young players opportunity, obviously not, not just Tommy Wadding but Quinn McNichol, Jeff Nikolovsky as well. Is that something you're going to do throughout the season as well as give young players a chance when you get the opportunity to do so? Yeah, if, they, if they're performing, um, why not? You know, it doesn't matter how old a player is, and I'll say it on the flip side too. I mean, if they're older, if they're in their you know, mid to late 30s, it doesn't matter to me. If they're performing, they're playing. Quinn McNichol at that time was performing and, and um, you know, he, uh, he played and did well. Um, the, the other one that unfortunately couldn't play was Rylan Brownlee because he's been doing extremely well in training as well. But you know, with young players, there are you know these little niggling injuries as well, and, and unfortunately, Quinn in the last couple of weeks has had a, a, a kind of sore groin. Um, so we're we're managing him through uh, this week, and, and hopefully he's available for, for next. But if he's not, no problem. Um, and, and James Nikolovsky as well. I've got nothing but praise for that kid. Because you know he's come on leaps and bounds. He he uh, he's a winner. Uh, he's got to be careful with with his tackles. But um, you know, what he's been doing in possession and and in training and you know, he he leads the group because there's a big thing as well. Uh, and I know this is not football, but we when we leave dressing rooms, opposition dressing rooms, or even our own, uh, I, I, I said to the players, make sure that everything is clean, cleaner than what we found there. And he leads that, and I didn't know, but the, the uh, Football Federation, or the FA, the Football Australia um, person uh, at the Knights commented on how clean our dressing room was, and I, I actually asked who, who cleaned it and who led it, and it was Nikolovsky again. 
So you know, I'm super proud of, of the boy and a great upbringing. These are the people that I want around this football club. Good to see you bring that over from Japan. Speaking of change, he's back at Suncorp Stadium this year for most of the home games. That's been really pleasing for you. Looking forward to some big crowds at Suncorp that season. Yeah, we're hoping that there will be. Um, I, like I said to the players, if you play good football and and play uh, with your heart and soul and give everything you've got in that Queensland, Queensland the never say die attitude, you know, people will come and support you. Um, and we want the fans back, and and that, that's something that we pride ourselves on as well. You know, we want we want our supporters back with big crowds at Suncorp Stadium. And it's, it was important for me. My decision coming to back to Brisbane was uh, to play in Brisbane. Um, no disrespect to all the other areas, but you know we're the, we're the Brisbane Raw. Yeah, we represent the whole of Queensland, but you know, we want to play in Brisbane and in, in the best uh, stadium in the country, and, and that's Suncorp Stadium. And you know, even when it's fifteen, twenty thousand, our supporters make a lot of noise. You know, I remember when I was here last, and that's what we want back to to spur the, the players on because the players they play obviously to win, but they play for our supporters, and, and the supporters are, are number one. Hopefully you can get that back over the course of the season. Final question, have you set any kind of targets or ambitions for the season or is it just taking it, coaches cliche, one game at a time? Yeah, I set the target. It was very clear the target for the playing group is to improve every single day in training and improve in every single game that we're playing to be the, the best uh, team that we can possibly be and play without fear. And that's and that's our target. The result will take care of itself. They can meet those expectations. Have a great season. Thanks for your time. Good luck. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you, mate. Good luck. Thanks for that. Thanks, Ross. Thanks, guys. No problem. All right. Thank you to Ross for his time there. That was recorded at the season launch back at the end of September at uh, Parc de Paris. And now what we're going to do is a carbon copy of what we did last week in the A-League Women's season preview and uh, go lightning round around the league. So quick fire uh, of over each of the sides we'll just go back and forth quick thought on each team uh scott and adam scott you're up first uh big loss for adelaide with craig goodwin are they going to have enough this year well adam adam raved about his former everton youth player shay cahill adelaide got a former man united youth player and ryan tunnycliffe to answer your question i don't think so because craig goodwin out is such a crucial player in their team they haven't replaced him once they haven't brought in and brought in a player, they brought in nobody in that area. So I'm really intrigued to see how they're going to go. They're relying on their NPL winning youth side. Hopefully, there's some good players there from their perspective. But also have a feeling Nestor Year and Kunda, who I'm sure they'll be relying on. I reckon he could go in January as well when he's 18. So I don't know where the where the creativity is going to come from for Adelaide. The loss of Goodwin is huge. I hope they've got a plan to replace him. But at the moment, I don't see it. Yeah, I I can't either. And we should again point out. We're recording this with the information that is available to us at the time. So when Adelaide go and announce that they've signed, I don't know, Leo Messi or something uh, Tuesday morning, we'll say we'll throw our hands up and go, well, we didn't know about that at the time. Adam, reigning champions, the Central Coast Mariners. Fair bit of change there as well. Are they going to take a step back? Uh, the fairy tale story of last season, it's going to be tough. I think that... Uh, yeah, Nick Montgomery, I think, was such a big part of that club and their success. Him, him going off to um, to Hibernian in Scotland, a great move for him. We we wish him all the best as Australians. Uh, but yeah, that means the Central Coast have to start all over again. And uh, despite the thought that maybe we might have a, one of our local favourite coaches getting an opportunity, Mark Jackson is new coach. But uh, 
I don't, I don't know if a 9-1 win in the AFC Cup uh, as its first match in charge is there any sort of guide to what we what we're gonna see from them. But uh, look, Central Coast they've, they've got a, they've got a great team. They've got some great young players. Look, they they might be there and about. I think it's just a matter of um, sort of them putting it all together as quickly as possible. Uh, Alu Kual back as well uh, on on loan. I do believe. Um, I think he'll get some good valuable game time and see if he can take the spotlight from his more fancy brother. We'll have to wait and see, Scott. MacArthur have given Miles Dajowski uh, the job full time. They've got a Frenchman leading the line. Is that a recipe for success in Campbelltown? I'm really torn on it because it's a pretty solid squad for MacArthur, but then they've been really quiet. They've been flying under the radar. I think they got knocked out of the of the Australia Cup in that pre-Cup tournament up in Darwin. So they've been really under the radar. They coming from a really low base last year. Look, if Valerie Germain, the French striker you mentioned, can come in and score the goals that Bashara Arabuli didn't score, then maybe, but I I have to see it with MacArthur. They're a real... They could be really good. They could also be really average. They're a team we just have to wait and see because they've been completely under the radar. For sure. Adam, Melbourne City, couple of new players, same old story? Uh, yeah, the Premiers. And, uh, yeah, look, this, this is uh, going to be intriguing because this is really now... Rado Vizic's team. Um, last season, you can say, you know, Patrick Kuznorbo had a hand in, in constructing that side and Rado finished the job off, one and uh, and sort of won the Premiership. But, uh, yeah, new new players, new players in. Um, some decent players too, decent pedigree as well. Uh, Tolgay Arslan, Hamza Saki, and uh, Samuel Suprayan to say the least, and Azic Bajic. Uh, Socceroos favourite is, is back playing in Australia, but uh, also as well uh, a favourite of ours in Jamie Young as uh, as the uh, custodian in Goals City. Look, they're, they're going to be about. I think there's, there's no question. And you've got a player like Jamie uh, Jamie McLaren as well, who's still there. He's the captain. He's gonna, if he can score even half the goals he he scored uh, last season, they're going to be there and about at least in finals football. Whether they in the Premiership, oh, we'll have to see. All right, uh, over to the other team that plays out of Amy Park, Melbourne Victory. Uh, bit of a quiet off-season by their standards. Last year, nightmare campaign all around for them, Scott. Will the additions of uh, a famous French name and Daniel Arzani be enough to really get this team up and running? Well, this first year city, the Asian Cup's going to crawl over with all their soccer players. But with Victory, I think their biggest issue at the moment is the 777 group who are owning Melbourne Victory, I think there's a lot of concerns around that in terms of what that looks like for them going forward. We don't really have enough information on it, but it's certainly been one of the big stories of their off-season. On the field, they've been, again, under the radar. Knocked out very early in the Australia Cup up in Darwin. They've been... Were they knocked out? Actually, did they get through? They got through, didn't they? They got through. They, either way, they've been pretty quiet, Melbourne Victory. Zinedine Mashak, I think is how you pronounce it. Apologies if that is wrong. Daniel Arzani gets another chance around the league as well. They're really, again, they're relying on all the youth players beyond that. It's hard to know with Melbourne Victory because this is the, they're, obviously they're a big club and they have big expectations, big pressure on Tony Popovich. I'm sure they expect a more successful season. Whether they get it or not, it's a whole different matter. I'm not sure what to make of them because, again, there's a lot of lot of key players out. Nani's out, Berlante's out, Cadete's out. It's a very different looking Melbourne Victory. We'll see if they can get, get goals because that's what hurt them last year. Not enough goals, and I don't know that they've brought in enough in the front third to score the goals. We'll have to wait and see. 
we will just have to wait and see how that all plays out. Just a uh, little marketing mention as well. Eli Adams, if you want to uh, copy the Alex Parsons uh, procession and come back to Brisbane as well, I think uh, I'd love to find some room for you in the Raw's A-League squad. They're running short on former Raw players down there at Melbourne Victory, actually. They better be careful. Oh, don't, 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 don't worry. It's a 777 deal. Uh, they move you away from the treading path. Alright, uh, Adam, we're back to you yep. for Newcastle. Uh, yeah, I, I've got nothing to tee you up for this, just Newcastle. <laughs> oh, Newcastle, it's uh, it, look, it's hard to know. And it, it all stems from the fact is that they don't have owners. Nothing is going to be stable. Nothing is going to be certain. Um, and that, that's a tough gig for Robert Stanton to come, to, come into. But uh, yeah, I, but... Look, I think they've got some really, really good young players. Uh, uh, Jacob Douse, uh Archie Goodwin, and uh, Clayton Taylor, I think, are going to be uh, young players to watch. Uh, a bit of experience in Jason Bartholomew as well. So, uh, look, I can't see them... I can't, I can't see them really so challenging for the, the top couple of places. But, look... They could sneak into the finals. So I, th- I think it's going to be that that tight. So look, we'll wait and see. But a lot, a lot of fortunes. It's going to be luck. It's going to be play a major part in that. For sure. Um, well, we did want uh, the Women's World Cup to spur some recruiting, and it has done for the Perth Glory coaching stocks in the A League. Man, Alan Statich is in charge now, Scott. He is, and he's replacing Ruben Zakovic. That they kind of turned it around largely. Perth Glory towards. The back end of the season, so I'm a bit surprised they changed coaches. But Alan Stadich is a really, really good coach. We saw what he did when he came into the Mariners. We're in a much worse spot the Mariners were when he took over than where Perth are now, and he got them to the final. So I wouldn't be ruling out Perth Glory at all. A bit of experience coming in for them. They had to lose Keegan Yelichich, but the other best new, the best thing for Perth coming up is Adam mentioned ownership problems in Newcastle. Well, it sounds like Perth are going to resolve their their ownership issues as well. We know that they got Tony Sage handed the team back to the APL and they're looking for a buyer at the moment. It sounds like they might have something lined up, which is great news for Perth Glory. Hopefully Newcastle can get something similar as well, but that's the best news for Perth. If they can get in new owners who can work with Alan Stadges as a new coach and head back towards where they want to get to. They're heading in the right direction with Adam Taggart and company, but it might be until the back end of the season where we see the best of them once the new owners are in in and running the show for sure alright uh, Sydney FC oh, they got the Australia Cup good for them I feel like I'm reviewing all the um, all the winners here because uh, yeah Sid- Sydney the, uh, the Australia Cup winners um, and they they are looking pretty good actually I think that last season was a was a big aberration for them um, I think a few a few around uh Around the Australian soccer, well, sorry, football scene, I should say. Um, a surprise that uh, Steve Corker kept his job, um, but he is making the best of second chances because, uh, yeah, they, they went on a great run uh, during during the cup. Uh, the Brazilian duo of uh, Fabio Gomez and Gabriel Lacerda, uh, Gomez we saw uh, have a big hand in that cup final. Lacerda looked very very solid as well so uh and 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 a very very sort of you know a team that has been fairly sort of solid from last season as well probably looking to make amends after a sort of a a, where they made the finals but still they underachieved by by their standards and i i think they can they can probably yet hone in some way 
All right, uh, the last season for Wellington as the lone New Zealand representative, we think, uh, will kick off soon. Scott, what are you making of the Knicks? They're the hardest team to predict. It's probably my quickest contribution to the entire show. They've really not brought in a lot of players, and it's heavily reliant on a bunch of young Kiwi players from their academy that we don't don't know enough about. Hopefully, for their sake, some of these players are future internationals, and they're going to make a big impact. But really, the only player we know about is Jack Duncan, the goalkeeper, and Muhammad Altai, the defender. So other than those two, it's a really unknown mix for Wellington under Giancarlo Italiano. Hopefully, it goes well for them. But we'll have to wait and see. Indeed. Uh, Adam, there's, again, more change Western Sydney in the off-season. They're trying to shake up the squad once more. Will it work? They keep on winning the pre-season, that's for sure, uh, except on the pitch. But, uh, look, uh, from, we, we had the, uh, I guess, the the inside of being able to see them um, up up close and personal in the Australia Cup, and despite the, in a losing effort, that there seems to be some really, really uh, good signs for them. I think uh, Marcus Antonson looks like one hell of a player. Um, Josh Brillante, if he can find anywhere near his his best you know, back from his Sydney days rather than his Melbourne victory days, I think he he'll be a massive. Um, He'll be a massive Servio Plus as well. And uh, Jorrit Hendricks as well adds that little bit of class from overseas. So, look, I think um, Marco Rudin, I think, think may have fi- finally got a team that, you know, that could really sort of, you know, make an impact. But, again, they're going to have to stay healthy and, you know, re- re- rely on the, the top players to actually show up. Off-season champions again, James. Four years in a row. Well, congratulations to the RBB. All right, um, final uh, team to recap and some breaking news this afternoon. Western United will be playing home games out of their Tani uh, facility, the smaller 5,000-seat stadium. Is that going to help them out this year? It'd be helped them for the, if they can get some games out there, absolutely. I think it also said they're looking at still that 15,000-seat stadium potentially being built, so that's from the council. So obviously that is on the agenda. So that's great news for Western United off the field. On the field, the revolution of the squad under John Aloisi is pretty much complete. Now, they've lost the last of that really good group they had from the first seasons under Marco Rudan. Diamante is gone. Leo Lacroix is gone. Um, Kilkenny is gone. Top Stanley is retired. Prijevic is gone. He, that was That's a real loss for them because he's a really important part of the of their attack. But in comes Nikita Rukovica back from, from European football. He's obviously a really experienced player who will add to their attack. But... The, the midfield duo of Riku Danzaki and Daniel Pena, if those two were at their best, they could put together some absolutely outstanding co- combination play in midfield, which could revolutionise that Western United side. So I hope those two are at their best. We've seen Riku up here in Brisbane three years ago now, sensational. Last year, not so much, but maybe some other issues triggered that. But if they can get those two at their best, they could be a really, really good, really good combination. And your point the off-field stuff around the stadium can only help them indeed all right uh now it's time for us to put our respective necks on the line and we will go through our season predictions as i just make a last minute change to mine um and since you guys handled the lightning round i'll go first for my ladder predictions in 12th place i've got newcastle 11th adelaide 10th Perth, 9th Victory, 8th MacArthur, 7th Western United, 6th Wellington, 5th Brisbane, 4th Central Coast, 3rd Western Sydney, 2nd Sydney FC, and of course Melbourne City on top, which I think is possibly five, six years in a row that I've predicted that. Um, 
So moving on now, let's go, Adam. All right. Well, geez, mine's mine's going to be a bit different. So some, one of us is going to be horribly wrong here, but uh, well, we both could be. We'll just just wait and see what I've come up with here. Um, In 12th spot, I've got Wellington. Uh, 11th, Adelaide. 10, Newcastle. 9th, MacArthur. 8, Melbourne Victory. 7, Perth Glory. Uh, Top 6 of 6, Central Coast Mariners. Raw in 5th. Sydney FC in 4th. Melbourne City, 3rd. Western United in 2nd. And Western Sydney Wanderers, I believe, will be the Premiers. There we go. Um, I should point out as well, I'm predicting something very similar to last year where uh, heading into like the final fortnight, you could have teams yeah. finishing anywhere from about 3rd to 10th. Yeah, Scott, I, what's your I prediction? Agree. That, that was actually quick. sorry. I was just going to say that's that's a lot of my thinking as well. Why I've got Melbourne City in third. I think they've got a great side, but yeah, you're right. The, we're, yeah. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. I, I just like the fact that out of like how different we've got our season uh, predictions, we've all got Brisbane in fifth. Well, Six games will be more goals right. than the yeah. league men's. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Well, there's a question I've got for you on that later. Let's quickly run through our golden boot predictions. I've got Fabio Gomez. So they played six times, two wins for the Raw. Kind of along your thinking as well. It should be J Mac. Last year, you're right. They were really, really close games. I think if the Raw go down to MacArthur and play the way they played in the cup, they should get something out of the game. That's my benchmark this week. Continue what you did in the cup and the result in January. These days, I think they can beat Carthage, but we don't know much about them, so we'll have to wait until it's interesting first up matchup. Scott, what about you? Have kept all their powder dry. Lee. I'm going with Marcus Antonsen for the uh, Golden Boot. Uh, Basically, on look, I think Jamie McLaren will score goals and probably will have a better ratio. But uh, yeah, him away at in at the Asian Cup, I think is going to hurt his chances. I don't think he'd mind to be honest. Uh, As for the Raw Golden Boot winner, I'm Mika Henry Hoare. But it's going to be a low number because uh, I think this this side is really going to share around the goals. I don't think it's designed where you're going to have a player that's going to score 15, 20 goals for the Raw. I think I think it might be as has been the last few years, eight or nine, but which has been a problem. But when you have five or six players that will have you know that sort of number of goals, I think that's where they'll be all right. But Henry Hall, I think, will win the Golden Boot. 
Okay, the I kind of just lost it when Adam said Henry Hall because for the player of the year, uh, raw-wise, I was actually going to take Henry Hall because I was going to tip him to finish second in the Golden Boot with about seven or eight goals. So, yeah... I don't really have to offer a whole lot more for that. Um, I'm going to say player of the year, Tolgai Arslan from uh, Melbourne City. Again, good, like probably a standout player in uh, what I think is going to be the Premiership team. I wish I had more in-depth uh, analysis to offer, but again, that's why I'm the football expert. Scott? Uh, since we're going raw first, uh, Florin Berenger for Player of the Year. And I actually think for the Johnny Warden Medal Player of the Year, A-League wide, Brandon Borello. Ooh, I like that. That, that. that is a very good call. Um, now, I question without notice for you two. I just put it in the uh, run sheet before. One sentence. Oh. What is their pass mark for the raw this season? Do you want me to go first? I'm going to say uh, a absolute bare minimum pass mark is making finals. It, it has to be a top six finish for me as a absolute bare minimum. I think if I want to consider the season a success, they've got to win a finals game. Uh, but yeah, and anything on top of that is gravy. But for me, it's making the finals as an absolute bare minimum, ideally hosting one. Scott. I'm going to lower the bar just slightly, and they fin- they finished eighth last season, seventh or higher. And when I say seventh, seventh and missed by a game, not seventh and daylight, but seventh. That that that's a pass for me, for it to be a successful season, top four. Yep, fair enough. And I suppose as well, like it, it does have to come with the caveat that every season, where you know, if, if you get a season from hell, injuries wise where eight of your first like of your top 15 players are missing significant time then obviously that pass mark changes but as it stands right now with this squad for me I think it's finals football as an absolute bare just, minimum. Sorry this is one point I just want to add to that I know you said one sentence but the one caveat I also want to touch is that I think it's one thing that we've really forgotten I think it actually is probably a good thing this is Ross Eloisi's first game coming up this Saturday as an A-League head coach. It, do, it just seems weird, you know, but it is. And I, I suppose that, you know, it, with, if things get tough now, how is he going to react? What, what's he going to do? Because at the moment, it's been, it's, been a great, it's been a great season. Even the losses that have happened so far, it's really like, oh, well, it's not really a big deal. But when it does become a big deal, how he reacts with his selections, how he reacts his demeanour, that is going to be so. That's going to be critical. But uh, yeah, look, I think it's a great thing that we're not we're not actually here saying part of our preview now analysis saying, oh, the coach 
it's his first season, it's a warrior. I think that's a trust that we have in Ross Alawisi as a coach that, yeah, that's not an issue. I think if everything goes the way I'm expecting it to, they will be about at that 25 goal mark. I just feel like they're going to fall probably somewhere into the mid-30s for goals scored. But again, you know, we've got a whole lot of football to play just out. Just one so. improvement. Is that goals per game, like, extrapolated because we've had different length seasons? or? There we go. Okay, uh, round one, we will keep this very, very quick because we've been talking for a very long time. MacArthur against Brisbane, Saturday, 2.30pm. You will have to do the uh, multi-screen experience out at Ballymore. I know we will be. Um, but what are we looking for from this game? Last season, it was a nil-nil draw at Suncorp in round one between these two sides. I'm hoping we're at least going to get a raw goal to celebrate in this instance, Adam. I think this will be a cagey old affair, and I think one goal is going to settle it. I just don't know if it's going to be uh, them as in MacArthur or the Raw. I think I think this is going to this is going to be a really tight tight game. I actually think across the league, I don't think you're going to see many blowouts. I think this is this is probably I think across the league in general. I think this is as tight as it comes this season, as as you know, any season. So I think Raw have got to take their chances. If they do, then I, I think they can just just scrape scrape home with a win. Okay, here's a quick quick fire one for you. More goals in uh, round one of the A League men's or Adelaide Canberra last weekend. I know that was, yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, I th- I thought that would get a bit, get a bit over and laugh, under but... eight. Yeah, I'm taking overs. <laughs> Scott. I'm, get, I'm going to say I'm score and get at least a point. Those are my two. Uh, oh, and get through it in one piece as well because I really don't want to see any season-ending injuries to start off the campaign. Thankfully, we have made it through our A-League men's season preview without uh, many physical injuries. I think maybe a few mental scars, but those have been there for eight years now, how long have we, we've been doing this. Alright, um, that's going to be it for this edition of the Brisbane Football Review. Thank you, Adam. Yep, thank you and good night. Thank you, Scott. Yes, indeed. Get out to the football on Saturday afternoon. It's going to be a spectacular show. And I uh, should also say a big thanks to Zach Anderson, Gareth McPherson, Kaz Patafta, and Ross Aloisi for taking the time with those interviews. Thank you, everyone, for listening. We will be with you throughout the entire A-League men's and women's season covering the Brisbane Roar and providing our own unique analysis. We can't wait for what's to come this weekend. Thank you for listening. Goodbye.